Now, you knew you were in trouble, didn't you? I don't know what you did, and maybe you thought only you and God knew. But when Mama gave you that look and told you, come here, you knew it was the end of the line, didn't you? And then she looked at you and she told you, go get me a switch. Oh, no. Never happened to me, though, right? I've just heard stories from other people. And don't you come back with no little itty-bitty switch, because then I'm going to have to go get my own switch, and then it's really going to be on, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, uh, let me tell you that that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. I just wanted to see which one of you got in the most trouble as a kid. By the way, some of you were kind of squirming around, kind of remembering, I, I can tell. But actually, it does kind of introduce what we're talking about today. Um, complete this sentence for me. God is love. God is good. God is grace. God is merciful. God is holy, forgiving. God is just. Jesus is meek and mild. And Jesus turns the other cheek. Except for that one time in the temple, right? This story about Jesus coming to the temple and doing what he did that day really has a way of of, um, messing up some of the ideas many people have about who and what Jesus is and was. And we try to make excuses for Jesus. Well, you know, uh, he wasn't really mad, um, and he wasn't really knocking. He accidentally knocked the tables over. No, he didn't. Jesus was mad. So instead of trying to, you know, figure out excuses, how about we figure out why he was so mad, and maybe what that has to do with us. How about that? Okay, that's what we're going to do today. So in order to do that, I need you to go back with me just a little bit, just a few years, right? The people of God had just are receiving the Ten Commandments, right? Or the Ten Words, as they're known, because of the way they're written in Hebrew. Ten Words. Now, especially working with, with youth over the years, you know, people have this idea about the Christian faith and the Ten Commandments, uh, nothing but a bunch of rules, telling me what I can't do, and I can't have no fun, and oh, it's so, man, the Ten Commandments, more rules, more burdens, and really, I don't think that's what it's about at all. God wanted God's people to be in relationship with him. And God wanted that so bad that he showed the people how to do it. Ten Commandments. So so the Ten Commandments aren't about, you know, ball and chain, oh, yes, master, and, you know, oh, golly. Save that for all the marriage jokes, okay? That doesn't really work with the Ten Commandments because that's not what the Ten Commandments are all about. Ten Commandments about showing God's people how to live as God's people. Simple as that. So, 
One day, Jesus and his family and his disciples make their way to go celebrate Passover. Right? And as Jesus enters into the temple area, he sees something, and boy, he just snaps, doesn't he? He just goes off, flies off the handle, as we say. And, and, and he makes a whip, takes the time to make a whip to use, and he starts whipping the cattle and the sheep, and you know, he's kicking over tables, and he's pushing pews, and he's throwing microphones across the stage, and he's pushing the choir out of their chair. He's doing all kind of crazy stuff, isn't he? No, not. Well, in a way, he is. I was trying to make it real to you because Jesus has this habit of really messing up church for people sometimes, doesn't he? We've talked about that in some ways. And really, Jesus coming here and just making a, 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 a uproar, just going crazy, He's really messing things up for everybody there. Why? Something that kind of stands out to me, I think about the disciples. You know, John, as he writes this, that we read from, John puts this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We go back a couple paragraphs, we read about Jesus being at some wedding and doing something with water, right? And we say that that was Jesus' first miracle. Right after that, John tells us that Jesus went into the temple and did all this stuff. The other gospel account, not successively, but you know, right after, okay? Other gospel accounts put this at the end of Jesus' life, towards the end of, of his ministry. And so I can see, you know, if this is at the beginning, I can see the disciples thinking, man, what in the world do we sign up for? This guy's crazy. Or if they're over here, at the end, towards the end of his life, and they've seen all this, and he's doing all this to the temple. I can see him saying, man, no wonder they want to kill him. This guy is just, he's crazy, isn't he? That's got to bring us back to the simple question of why. Maybe we have things mixed up sometimes. Let's think about the Ten Commandments again. Oh, these boring, these rules, oh. Watch this. Give me one of the Ten Commandments. Can you do that? Thou shalt not steal. Is that really so bad? I mean, you know, other people work and other people save and other people do what they can to, you know, have things or to, or to do certain things. And me going to steal, is that really so bad? What's another one? Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's horrible, isn't it? I mean, if we think about all the, the, the families and the lives that have been broken and torn apart by adultery, yeah, that's really a bad thing, isn't it? To tell people not to commit adultery, isn't it? Yeah, it's horrible. What's another one? Thou sh- there goes the weekend, huh? Thou shalt not kill. Oh, man, what am I going to do now? Again, God's way of telling God's people how to be God's people. So, if I'm, if, if I'm with Jesus this one day, and he's going into the temple, 
And he starts going crazy, and nobody's doing anything. Nobody's, I guess they're kind of watching him. They're just kind of like, what in the world? What does that tell me about the faith and the life and the mission of Jesus? Well, let's see. One, either Jesus needs a, a lesson in anger management, or there's something maybe a little bit deeper going on. Jesus goes into the temple, right? And what are they going to the temple for? Something in particular. What's going on in the temple? Passover, right? Passover is a big deal. It's the big holiday. I've read in some accounts that some people believe, you know, at one given time during the Passover, there could have been 150,000 people there to celebrate and so we can look at this and we, we can see Jesus coming in and seeing all these people and seeing something about this one area where these people are doing these things. Maybe what they're doing is bad. What are they doing? Well, they're selling animals and they're exchanging money. Maybe in what they're doing is bad. Maybe some of them are just overextending their hand just a little too much. Extortion type deal. Maybe that's what sets Jesus off. That's certainly enough to be upset about. Or maybe it's not so much the what, it's the where they're doing it. And stay with me. You and I, I, I know how it is to complain about our cars. You know, I've got to get my car fixed again. You know, I had to take it in yesterday and drop another $300 to get it running. Trust me, I know. Huh? But it's only been a few generations, hasn't it, that uh, the idea of everyone having a car was really non-existent. Before, what did you do? You got yourself on a horse or you did this gig here. People forget about that, don't they? So let's go back even a lot further. If I'm living in the day of Jesus, and let's say I live, it's time to go to the temple for Passover. Let's say I live, I don't know, 5, 10, 20, 40, 50, 100 miles away from the temple. Guess what I got to do to get there? Now, when I go to the temple, I have to bring something. I have to bring a sacrifice to the temple, don't I? And I can't just bring any sacrifice. This sacrifice cannot have any blemishes at all. Right? Now, 30, 40, 50, 100 mile journey, that might do a lot to me. It might also make this nice, pretty, unblemished sacrifice a little blemished by the time we get done, might it? So it's really not practical for me to bring my sacrifice. And then there's this idea about money. Well, when I finally get to the sacrifice, no matter where I'm living, I don't carry the right kind of money to buy stuff in the temple because there, had, there was a certain type of money. The only coins I got, you know, if I pull them out, I got this stuff on there, and it's got a picture of who? Caesar. I can't use that in the temple. So really, if we think about these people, what they're doing, they are selling sacrifices and they are exchanging money. What they were doing was actually a service. Y'all with me? You, you can't use your money here, so I'll take your money and I'll give you what it's worth in you know, kosher money, whatever it is. 
You can't carry your sacrifice. I have all these unblemished sacrifices here. Here you go. God be with you. Shalom. All that kind of stuff. Y'all with me? Now watch this. Jesus walks into the temple. And in the temple, there are several courts, all walled off. And the first court that you come up to is the court of Gentiles. Now, this wasn't holy ground as far as the Jews were concerned. This was where all of the selling and money exchanging was going on. This was the only place that the Gentiles could go in the temple. And as most of you probably know, either you were a Jew or you were a Gentile as far as the Jewish mind was concerned. There's no in-between. You're either here or you're here. And so in this temple, we have the court of Gentiles, where Gentiles are allowed to be. Now, just use your imagination, and we'll use that number of 150,000 people. If we have 150,000 people all crowded here, and we have all these people selling sheep and doves and exchanging money in this court for the Gentiles, where do the Gentiles fit? They don't. They can't go anywhere. They can't say, excuse me, I got to go into the Holy of Holies. No, you don't do that. So maybe it's not what they were doing. It's where they were. And them being in the in the temple of Gentiles with, with all of their sacrifices and with all their tables and all this other business, they were crowding out anybody else who would want to get in. Maybe. That's what ticked Jesus off. He goes into a frenzy. And, and it's just, some other, the other accounts, you know, let this be a house of prayer. These people were so focused on what they were doing, intent on what they were supposed to be doing there, on, on, on why they were there, and doing all this other stuff, that they ignored all these people over here. Even better... They blocked all these people over here. Maybe that's why Jesus was so upset. One of the Ten Commandments that really used to just, I didn't get it. It bothered me, actually. Has God ever bothered you? God bothered me one time. Look at these Ten Commandments. I'm going to read, you, can probably even, you can probably even finish it for me. Verse 5 of Exodus 20 says, You shall not bow down to them, your idols, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a what? I can't tell you how mad it used to make me feel. Jealousy is a, that's a human emotion, isn't it? That's a, I don't know, it's got, that's got a lot of pride in it. It's got a, why would I want to serve a God who's jealous? Repeat after me. Why is God jealous of me? He's not. Get over yourself. <laughs> jealous may not be the best word to put there. Not because I don't like it, but because of, of the word that's really used. 
Really, instead of a J, we might be better, more faithful to put a Z. And then what would God be? Now watch this. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal. Passion. Right? What, what other words could you use? Zeal, passion, just uh, um, outright uh, um, desire for something. God has a zeal for his people to know that he loves them. God has a zeal for his people to know how to live in relationship with him. And so it's no wonder then that maybe Jesus was so upset when he saw all these people concerned with their own business, going about their own thing, worried about whatever they were worried about, and blocking everybody else from knowing the same thing. Of course Jesus was mad. So for me, the question has to be asked, and you know, it's a Totally hypothetical, hypothetical question, but um, if Jesus visited the churches today, would he still be angry? What if something would happen and Jesus were to, you know, we're trying to get visitors in here. What if we just messed up and got Jesus to visit our church one day? Would Jesus be angry if he visited Ocaden United Methodist Church? I don't know. I'll let you go home and think about that, and we can talk about it later on tonight. How about that? You see, I want this to be a place that is known to be open to its community, and not only to its community. Sometimes, you know, in church visit, we use that word a lot. We go, oh, community, and community works, and community life. We just kind of forgetting that community is made up of a lot of people. So not the church not only being open to the community, but being open to the people in the community. And I think we need to realize that as a church, that can be done. But it's hard, really hard, to give away something you don't have, isn't it? And so another question I have to ask, you know, if Jesus were to come home with some of us, would he still be angry? Considering that, you know, the people in the temple that day, you know, blocking and ignoring people over here on the sides, that made Jesus so mad. If he were to follow us home today, would he have a right to be mad at us? That'll start a conversation, won't it? Friends, God is a zealous God. God wants God's people to know that anybody who wants to call themselves a Christian has a calling to love God. With the assurance that God loves them back. Matter of fact, he loved them before they even thought they wanted to be a Christian. He loved them before they even gave any thought to loving God. And I want you to know that this morning. And not only did he want you to know that, 
He showed us how to live in that life. Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is to those of us who are saved, it is the power of God. Friends, may you know the power of God in your life. And may that power encourage you, may it strengthen you, may it build your faith, and may it ultimately draw you into a deeper relationship to the God who gives the power. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we want to know your power. And we ask now that you would remind us of the message of your cross. Forgive when we block others from knowing that. And renew us today by the moving of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray.